We have a guiding question that we ask all the time in different situations that we're confronted by. And we ask the question, what does it look like to love in this situation and let love be the guide? And not that there's always a clear answer of this is it, but we feel like as long as we're leaning in towards love, that that's going to be closer to the mark. Everybody, welcome to the 10,000 Minute Podcast. I am Whoa. your host, Tim Timmons, Ooh. Chris Cleveland. Hey. I'm Oi Donice. Hi, everyone. Julie Boyd mm-hmm. is who's about to be on. Mm-hmm. And Julie is an author. She's a community builder, a nonprofit leader, all these things um, mm-hmm. in Kenya. Yes. And I had a friend named Kathy that said, Tim, you've got to interview this girl. And I'm like, okay, why? And she started going into all these reasons why this woman is just awesome. And the way Kathy would be talking about how do we really strategize and help your nonprofit grow? And, and Julie was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's good. We just want to love people. Right. Mm-hmm. And Kelly's like, yeah, yeah, that's great. But what we could do, and she's <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, gosh, I just, I want to love, I just want to love people really well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it just started blowing Kathy's mind. And guys, this interview is really great. So she has a documentary out that's like. Space Between. Yeah, The Space Between. And we'll have that in the show notes. Okay, show notes. Um, she has a book out. Her story is just beautiful. Mm-hmm. Uh, 18 years in Kenya. Went there somewhat just just checking things out. And Almost just, by accident. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Really. And her heart was changed. She'll just tell a little bit of that story. Ugh, you guys, it's really refreshing. I think there's almost more practical things we can apply to our lives in things that she said in passing. Right. Yes. Right. Yes. Than maybe any podcast that we've had. Yes. Yeah. If you really listen to what she's saying. Yeah. She just kept yep. saying like these things and I was like, whoa, 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 yeah. whoa, what? Wow. You right. know, and it's like all like life changing things. I think if you mm-hmm. can actually implement them in your life. Yes. Yep. Cause she's embodying something. Mm-hmm. So all these practices are the expression of something she's chosen. Mm-hmm. And, and sometimes she's doing it with incredible humility. Yeah. And sometimes we think these practices will get us there, but I think this is a beautiful story of someone saying, I do these because I have chosen to love and make love a focus of my everyday mm-hmm. purpose. And so hopefully you get both of those sides of, yes, the practice and the reason why these practices are a part of her everyday life. Yeah. And it's moved out of just like, oh, I'm going to put this into practice to the rhythms of her life, mm-hmm. um, which mm-hmm. I think, you know, 10,000 minutes, our whole point is how do we put the heart of God into practice all day and week long and it seems like just in out of necessity, she's been putting the heart and words and actions of Jesus into practice in her days. And it's just made for a beautiful human and a beautiful story. Yeah. One of the things that is kind of like a lens through which I see all faith in God and everything is if it doesn't work for everybody, then it mm-hmm. doesn't work. And so like hearing her story through that story or through that lens yeah. yeah. and then seeing like, well, what still works for her in Africa? Yeah. I was like, oh, that's the gospel. Like, that's it. Right. And so I think if you can listen to this through that lens, it can change a lot of the way that you see it here. 
So good. Uh, anything else before we get going? Listen with an open mind, like we always ask you to listen, yeah. but especially with all of maybe the baggage and the experiences we've grown up with or we might have seen within the church. I just ask that you listen with a very open mind and hear what someone who has spent years of time with a community, what she has to say about how God is revealed over there in Kenya. Mm. Yeah. And being an American, you know, from Kansas and then living there for 18 years, like there's just, she is outside of our Western American Christian bubble Mm -hmm. and there's, there are things to be, to be learned. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So yeah, it's just good for us to be curious. I love it. So yeah, go to 10,000minutes.com if you want to get resources there. Uh, We'll have show notes. Uh, Go to the show notes here so you can see her book and how to like support what she's doing Mm because you'll want to by the end of this. Mm -hmm. And then if you guys want to get free text messages that are just encouraging to your soul, text 10K10K to the number 55678. Amazing. Oh, and would you like this and subscribe to it? Yeah. Um, If you haven't already, because hopefully this is encouraging to you and share it with people. Okay, guys, get ready. Okay, everybody, we've got Julie Boyd. And if you don't know who Julie Boyd is, I did not until maybe a few weeks ago. Come on. When one of my favorite humans on the planet, her name is Kathy Workman. uh, She was just out with Julie and she said, Tim, I never tell you somebody that you're supposed to interview. Hmm. And and there are a few voices that I'll listen to and I'll go, yes, that's Uh whatever you say, Kathy, I'll do. And she said, you need to hang out with Julie, Julie Boyd, Boyd, Boyd. You got it. Uh, I sorry. Have you ever heard of that, Julie? Did you ever hear the toy boy, toy boat thing? Say toy boat ten times fast. Toy boat, toy boy. Uh, yeah. See, I'm I'm it. It. <laughs> try it, Julie. Try it. Say toy boat ten times fast. Toy boat, toy boat, toy boat, toy boat, toy boat. I can't probably. That See, was I, really I good. I always though. end up saying boy. Toy boy, and so it, it kind of throws me a little bit. Say your last name. I'm so sorry. Hopefully that's not offensive. I just when I said boy, I'm like crap. I did that again. Toy boat. Anyways, Julie, hi. Oh, Hello. where are you? Why are there bugs in the background uh, sounding? Like I hear bugs, and we've got great latency because how many miles away from us are you? Ish. I should be about eight thousand miles. Huh. Okay, so you're just in Kansas. Just around the corner. Yeah. I was born in. I was born in Kansas City. Exactly. I knew that. Keep going. That's what you were picking up. (laughs) So where are you? Uh, I've lived in a village in Western Kenya for almost 19 years. Oh, wow. So it is nighttime right now while I'm talking to you. And one of the things I love is that the sounds, they change from day to night and the insects mm. start to make a lot of noise and it just feels like part of the rhythm of the day. <laughs> I oh, love awesome. that. Okay. Mm-hmm. So give us exactly where you are and what are you doing? Who's in the house? How does all that work? I'm actually uh, at the hospice. So we help to run a hospice that's called Kimbulio. It means refuge in Swahili. And I came down here because I wasn't sure if the electricity would stay on. And so I knew we could turn mm. the generator on to do this interview um, oh so I came down, but my husband is at home. We have five kids, um, wow. from the ages of six to 17. Wow. 
Okay, so if if people aren't intrigued yet, <laughs> will you give just what are you doing? Why are you out there? You're a white woman out there. What what happened? You're from Kansas. Okay, go. Yes. Well, I moved from Kansas City on the Missouri side when I was a freshman in high school to Northern California. My dad was a pastor and we moved to a new church. And then I went to Azusa Pacific for college and I studied to become a a nurse. (laughs) Something like that. Go Cougars. My my sister went to APU, so I know. Go Cougars. Okay, sorry. Continue. And my junior year of nursing school, there was a trip planned um, for a short-term trip to come to Kenya. I wasn't planning on going on the trip. A friend of mine didn't want to go to the information meeting by herself and asked if I would go with her. I did. She didn't come on the trip. I did. And um, Mm. I was really moved by what was going on with HIV and AIDS within this community, within um, Sub-Saharan Africa, became very interested in it. So when I graduated from APU, I started working at Cedar sinai It's a big hospital in L.A., in their HIV unit. And I worked nights there for three years because I Mm. wanted to keep learning and keep discovering and not let fear be what drives what I do and who I am. So I became a nurse practitioner. And then I asked the organization where I volunteered with for a month in the summer of 2000, if I could come for a year and work alongside of the Kenyan team who were so passionate about their people and the suffering of their people and if they would allow me to come and work alongside of them. And so I did that in 2004, thinking that it would probably be for a year or so, and I'm still here. Mm, And I've learned so much about being in community, about listening, learning, not always being right in the way that I do things and yet being graciously received and wanting to be humble so that I can continue to be a part of this community and learning and hopefully loving. And I'd love to hear just a little more background on what you're doing out there and why you're doing it. When I first moved here, I worked alongside a community-based organization doing HIV work. And so we okay. were doing home visits People were super sick. We didn't have access to testing or treatment yet. And so I'd go into homes with our Kenyan team and sit alongside of people. And after a few months, I got really tired of watching people die of a treatable disease. Mm. And I met a man named Kibet who was lying under the shade of a tree, six foot three, weighed like 90 pounds. And so near death. And I just thought, you know, like I've worked in HIV care, like as long as something is treatable somewhere in the world, it really should be accessible everywhere. It's just how I believe Mm -hmm. (laughs) and felt the frustration of that and the disparity of that. And so on that day, like I sat alongside of Kibet and I told him as long as God gives you life, like I'd like to walk alongside of you, not having any Mm -hmm. idea what that meant, but thinking that I did, thinking that that would mean He'd have a few more weeks to live, and then we'd go to his burial like we went to everyone else's burial who were people dying of HIV and AIDS. But then I heard about this clinic that was like 10 miles away, and it had just opened. It was one room, and I told him, I think we should at least try, see if there might be something available there. And so, like, we live in a really rural area, and it takes work to get anywhere. But on an early Friday morning, I went with him, and— drove into this space and that there was a 70 year old 
doctor in the doorway who I didn't know him from anybody, but he introduced himself to me as Joe. And I, I, he said, what are you doing here in the middle of nowhere? And I said, I'm Julie and I'm tired of watching people die. And he says, well, I know exactly how you feel. Let me show you something. And so he took me into the room where there was HIV test kits and there was antiretrovirals and there was the treatment that was needed and people just a few miles away, including myself, didn't know it existed yet. And so like, I just, I really started, like I was overwhelmed and started crying. And, and at that moment just felt like the dreams that I thought I had for this community are so much smaller than what God wants to do. And so it started a journey of really mobilizing people for HIV testing and getting people connected to treatment. And so watched a generation of people who would have died from HIV and AIDS. They didn't because mm. they got on treatment and their kids didn't have to become orphans. And wow. wow. And really, I think there was so much fear and stigma that could come down and love led that. And it was Kenyans that allowed me and welcomed me to walk alongside of them um, and somehow be a part of that story. And I've been so changed um, because of it. So Kibet and his wife are both members of our staff. We now run hospice Mm. that has been going for the last 13 years now and started very small and has grown. And we have about a hundred thousand people that we serve in a year in different capacities within the community and at two sites. Like, and for example, for example, we run a hospice. So it's a 24 bed inpatient facility for adults and children, but a little bit different than what Americans would think of as hospice because many of the patients who come to us, especially HIV patients, the goal is for them to get better and go back to the community. And the age range would be much lower. So it would be children in 18 to 35 would be the main population that we're serving. We also do take care of a lot of uh, people who are suffering with different forms of cancer. But what we've decided at the hospice is that rather than call them patients We really believe in hospitality, and so we call them guests Mm. because we want them to be received and welcomed in that way and in everything that we do to be treated with honor and dignity. And we know that we can't control all the outcomes, but we believe that anything that we do with love, that it's holy to God, and we've just seen that over and over again, um, time and time again. So we have the hospice, and then we also run a hospital that's about an hour away from here, that opened in 2019 and has been, it's grown much bigger than I imagined. I mean, all of this has grown bigger than I thought it right, would, right. but it's, mm-hmm. it, it feels like it's step-by-step step trying to be faithful with what's in front of us and God then leading us to the next step. And mm-hmm. it's a team of over a hundred Kenyans working together and dreaming together and just believing that God is in our midst and that he loves the people who were welcoming. And so I, I feel like it's not just about what we can give, but also what we're receiving. It's just the exchange all the time. Um, yeah. What are you learning about people and how do you see, how do you see walking with people in life and death? Well, I see it as a privilege. I see it as an opportunity to listen. I see it as a way to pay attention to God, because, you know, like we say, we want to, we want to love, we want to remind people of their worth, but there's also 
like my, I'm weak. You know, I have my frailties. I want to be patient and kind and all the things that love are, but on any given day, like I'm not all those things. And so believing that, that God is near to those who are suffering and that he's already in that. Like when I, like when I move to Kenya or when I go into homes, when I, all these places where I enter spaces or when I walk alongside people, it's with the trust and the belief that God is already there and that I get to be a part of that. Um, And I think it's really important. It's like, I'm not here to fix many things. Mm. I want to be a helper. I want to listen and pay attention, but also, I think over the last few years, I've really, I think the role that I've seen myself in has really transitioned as I became an adoptive mom of children mm. who right. had chronic illness. And I've been thinking a lot about actually even the story of the Good Samaritan. So every time I've ever read that story or heard that story, I've always thought of myself either as the religious person who would keep walking or hopefully the person who would stop and notice the person who was suffering Mm. and be willing to help. But recently I've thought about the third person who's the person who's been beaten and left and is the one who needs help and Mm. how more in the last few years, like that's a role that I've stepped into. I've not always been the person who's trying to help. I've been the one who's needed to receive and the humbling aspect of that and how in walking or in being in that role, how that has also really shifted the lens through which I see things. So now as I, you know, my kids have received all kinds of treatment, including bone marrow transplants, and we've walked to the edge of death. And thankfully, like, they haven't died, but they could have. And I felt those emotions. I felt the weight of that. I felt like at one point I really need to write a letter of apology to every parent that I ever took care of their child before. Cause I didn't mm. understand how much it hurt. Mm. And with that, like I now have that lens that I feel like that's the one I see through at this point. It's the one that I don't feel like God made my kids sick so that I could, there could be extra meaning in my work. Like I just don't have that kind of theology, Mm -hmm. but I do feel like compassion has been a side effect and the ways that I want people to have access to care. It's like just even grown further. Yeah. Hmm. As far as your understanding, I mean, theology is your understanding of God. I mean, how, this is a crazy question to ask you, but how has that changed in your 18-ish years in Kenya? I mean, you come out of Bible school, you know, you do all the good Christian things, then all of a sudden you meet life and a crazy life out there. How does your view of God and what your role and his role and our role is? I think that a lot of things I learned in Sunday school, the answers that were given for questions, they don't measure up to some of the life experiences that I've seen. I feel, I feel a lot more shades of gray than I did Mm. 18 years ago or 19 years ago. The thing that feels constant and has felt that way for all of this time to me is that I believe in the goodness of God. I believe Mm. that his love and his mercy are following us. And And I believe that his goodness is not dependent on a specific outcome for any of these hard things. I'm not a person who actually feels like 
I need to ask a lot of questions at this point of God, mm. not because mm. I don't have questions, but I feel like the answers wouldn't necessarily be helpful. And I don't say that in a way that I don't wrestle when I pray, but I, I feel like um, a lot of my relationship with God right now is going outside and walking through my neighborhood and paying attention. It's mm. noticing the birds and as I see them fly all around, like just that promise that Jesus says, you know, if if I take care of the birds, I will take care of you. And I mm. believe that to be true for me. And I believe that to be true for my neighbors and my kids. And there's untellable amounts of suffering that doesn't make sense. I And, and part of what I do from time to time is to make sense out of senseless things. But I feel like... What's that mean? I think that I'm. Tr- I try to figure out why is it this way. How could it be different? Right. And there's not always a good reason. There's not always a reason that's going to be clear. And if I read the Bible, that I'm going to have an answer to that question or right. that thing right. doesn't that doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I'm not at a place where I need that to happen for yeah. me. What I need to trust and understand is that God will be with us that as long as we will keep showing up together, that God will be in our midst, that we can rejoice together, we can mourn together, sometimes it's on the same day, and that God will keep putting birds that will sing every morning and remind me that if He takes care of them, He takes care of us. Like, mm-hmm. that's where I feel like most of my relationship with with God and Jesus, that's where it sits. It's like, where it says that, you know, God is not going to crush, you know, the 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 reed or the blow stuff out the candle. Like, I believe that. I believe that God is tender. I believe that when we welcome people who so often have been rejected, that Jesus is there in the middle of that. Mm-hmm. One thing that Kathy, my friend Kathy, where I was just said, why is this Julie so awesome? Tell me. And she had many things to say, and she didn't spend even that much time with you. Uh, but there was just so, there's so many profound things. So Kathy is a she's one of the smarter people that I know. And she's just she's so bright. She's a great marketer, just understands all the things of how to do it in America. And she's really I mean, it's really wise. But she said, I, I was just talking to Julian and we would talk about things and and her answer was always about love. Your answer, Julie, was all, all about love instead of this marketing machine thing and how profound that was to her. Give me a little bit more on that. I'm sure you have a little context to what your conversation was like with her. We have a guiding question that we ask all the time in different situations that we're confronted by. And we ask the question, what does it look like to love in this situation and let love be the guide and not that it, there's always a clear answer of this is it, but we feel like as long as we're leaning in towards love, that that's going to be closer to the mark and that mm. we believe that God will guide us in that. And that is how we started um, years ago, Living Room, the organization that I helped to run, like that's how we started is two HIV positive malnourished babies who were severely malnourished and so close to death. They were on treatment, but they just weren't getting better. And we asked that question, what does it look like? What can we do? And, you know, we're medical professionals. We're right. 
but there were still limitations in what we felt like what might be the next steps. But we created a one-room treatment center and cared for those babies and watched as Flovia, who was two and a half years old and weighed like 12 pounds, Mm. come back to life. And Felix, who was a year old, he didn't. And Mm. held the tension of death and life. And what we were called to, though, was love and to do our best with what we had in the place that we were at to to make sure they were getting the treatment they needed, but also to understand that some of the outcomes were outside of our control. And that has been much of our journey and keep leaning into love. And so even as years later, when I would meet the baby who would become our child, um, his mother had died in childbirth and my husband, Titus, who's Kenyan, we just really felt... Well, I initially felt it, but we both chose to make space for this three pound premature baby whose mom died trying to give him life. And and it was that question again, well, what does it look like to love and not Mm. having a clear answer, but a willingness to try. And that's what we did. And that's what I want to keep doing. When is that hard for you? Yeah. Certain days when we can't get pain controlled. Mm. Hmm. When the anguish is feels unbearable, the other one of the other things that we've done is we've started a funeral home, and so my office actually sits in between a hospice and where there's still life, and funeral home where there's death, obviously. And you know, I didn't mm. learn to run a funeral home at APU, but it's something that we do, and <laughs> it's something that brings a lot of family members to come in through our gates every day and the sound of lament, it's something Mm -hmm. that you should feel gutturally. And Mm -hmm. the wailing is something that we listen to. And, And one of the things I started praying a long time ago is, God, as long as someone's suffering, don't let me be comfortable with that. And I don't pray it as much anymore because I feel like I get to live it a lot. But but those things are hard. I also, I think because I now see things so much through being a mother, children walking alongside other mothers is, it's rightfully painful. So my question for you, I love that. My question for you is what does rest look like in the midst of all this? Is it just nonstop? Everybody needs help. So I'm going to help everybody. That's that would be easy to see your story and go, gosh, she just, she went for it. She is the the quintessential person who's like, oh gosh, I'm going to Africa and I'm now the missionary in Africa giving every ounce of me. What's, what's that look like? What does rest for your soul look like? Or is that a very American question? No, I mean, rest is also a command. Mm. I feel like we do live a slower pace. So I walk a lot in our community. Like I said, I, I hang out with the birds a lot. Yeah. Um, I listen mm. to them. I notice them. And to me, it slows down some of the other things that are troubling with inside of me. Um, I also, I feel like that my commute, at least to the hospice, is a walk, is is really good for me. Because then it's a slower pace, leaving my house to here and then going back to release some of that. There's also, I think in not being single anymore and being married and having 
all of my children, um, there's a lot more boundaries that I feel not so much in asking the question of what does it look like to love, but in our home, creating space and making sure that I'm present um, at home with my family feels more important to me right now than it ever has before. So that's where I think building in enough rest also feels like something that I want to keep working on. Not that rest is working on, but but being intentional about it. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's an intentional totally. practice that mm-hmm. you are doing because you need to or else you're toast. Yeah, and the other thing is that there's a rainforest that's about two hours from our home that I got to go to last weekend with Titus. And it is just this beautiful space where I feel like I can breathe deeper and exhale also. And it's really restorative for my soul. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you've been away from America for a while. I mean, you come back, but what do you see? And I don't want to get you in trouble or anything or make you say something that you'll regret later. But when you look at the American church spirituality, uh, what are you kind of seeing from outside and have just the curiosity question of like, huh, I wonder why this is guiding it. Or I see this as like the guiding principle of American Christianity, Western Christianity. I really struggle with some of the ways that evangelicalism has centered itself around politics and certain certain stances and not others that feel really important too. And I think being outside of America for so long, I see probably again through a different lens and it feels at times like we're trying to build our own kingdom rather than mm-hmm. God's. And, and I think also I've in the last couple of years after going through the trauma of treatment with my kids, like yeah. deconstructing certain things of my childhood faith and not in a way that it's like walking away from Jesus, but asking questions about some of the role of women within the church and right. yeah. how we were afraid of, like we were taught in some ways to fear certain groups of people in ways that really feels like it's not of God. <laughs> and then yeah. I think yeah. just some of the power dynamics, like I, I really struggle with that and am mm-hmm. processing that from a few thousand miles away from yes America, but also just grieve some of that because it feels like I don't know where Jesus, well, I don't know that Jesus would sit in some of those spaces that Mm. are religious spaces. I think that Mm -hmm. he would be in other places. And, and so I've, I've tried to process that a little bit, a lot of it. (laughs) That's, I mean, that Mm. seems like we're all processing because we're processing all the same things in this room, 8,000 miles from you, but we kind of have each other to process this stuff with in some ways, uh, which is good and bad because we're all still in the boiling pot of what all the, the religion that we grew up with. So how does that work for you? 8,000 miles away. Is that helpful? But I do have enough community around me where we process it together. And I have non-Americans also processing what, right. what is that? What is happening? Like, why would we choose that direction? Why would we align here um, those kinds of questions that are not easy to answer. <laughs> Gosh, I would love to hear those questions. Welcome to Kenya. <laughs> uh, yes. 
Uh, are there, are there things that you have that you would invite us into that you'd give like a bigger invitation for us and the people that thankfully listen to this podcast and we're so excited just to support you and to point people to what Jesus is doing in your world and how you're just joining them in this thing. It's so beautiful. Uh, but are there, are there invitations that you would have just from where you are? And we know that you are not awesome and perfect and that you've got it all. We hear that in you that you're not saying, man, I've pretty much nailed it. I'm, I'm the missionary and guys, you need to get your act together. I know that's not where this is going to come from. This is just a gosh, I see this and I I've, I'm in the same place and I've been in the same spot. I see this in some friends. And I actually don't use the word missionary with myself very often. I mean, I think because of so many things that have gone along with that, including Mm -hmm. like colonialism and (laughs) a lot of, you know, white savior kind of stuff that, you know, like I recognize that I fit into a lot of those stereotypes and I want to constantly be just asking of God to help me to be humble, to listen, to learn and also how to be a neighbor. Like, that's what I want to be. You know, like, I want to be a good neighbor. And um, so, you know, I like to listen to Mr. Rogers stuff sometimes. Because I feel like he was humble and he was kind yeah. and he was good with children. And I think that Jesus would be a lot like that, you know. Mm-hmm. So, um, So one of the things I would say is that I don't feel like who I am and my work, like, you know, it's happened within Kenya, but hopefully it would have happened anywhere I was, that it wasn't about a place. It was about a willingness to see and an invitation that continues. Like we don't arrive, like we continue Mm -hmm. step by step. We choose each day and it's even not each day. It's like moment by moment. Do we choose to pay attention to who God is around us, not always like having a certainty of what that is, but a willingness to try that I feel Mm. like has been my journey. And it's what I would want to invite others to like lean into is I just have witnessed the loving kindness of God (laughs) in front of me and around me and at times within Mm. me in a way that makes me want to just keep on this path. Hmm. wherever the path might be, you know? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the invitation to be a good neighbor applies everywhere you are this week. It's being present in our workspaces. It's present in our neighborhoods, in our homes. But what we need probably even more than opportunities to be a good neighbor is the willingness to pay attention to people who are in need, right? What would it look like if we walked through our 10,000 minutes willing to pause our plans to help others? Willing to pause our plans to help others. You can see how this has shaped Julie and her whole beautiful community. So again, what would it look like if we walked through our 10,000 minutes willing to pause our plans to help others and to be aware of others' needs? A practice that I'm hearing in your invitation is that we'd be willing to just be aware of what's around us, who's around us, how to love our neighbor well. 
And with that, I would say we have to be willing to pay attention and be interruptible. Mm-hmm. Because I think that if we're willing for God to interrupt our plans, he will. And if we're not, then there's a lot less room for us to probably see God at work around us. Is that a daily practice? Is that a moment by moment practice? How do you put, how have you put that into practice? Yeah, I think it's just an intention for all my days is to leave room for interruption and to know that like I can plan for my day to look like this, but if something comes up that needs my attention a different direction, understanding there's boundaries, but like really trying to notice um, where God is at work and and choose mm. to love. Yeah. That's so good. Um, what are other ways that we can support you or that people can see the things you're doing or walk alongside or learn with you? So there's a documentary that was made almost a decade ago, but I still think it gives insight into our work at Living Room and that that's available. Um, I have a website at julieboyt.com that has that as well as my book um, from Beyond the Skies. I'm actually writing a book right now that's going to come out um, in the fall. And so mm. I'm I'm still in the the hard writing part, the hard like times of writing it, but yeah. excited to be able to share that too. And then at livingroominternational.org, you can learn a lot more about our our work. Even support what you're doing. Yeah, I, but I I feel like in the same way that we want to honor the guests who come into our care, whoever wants to partner with us, it's an invitation. And hopefully um, people will feel that and be honored in that kind of mm. way too. Mm. We have a few last questions for you. Um, this is so that okay. the podcast is called 10,000 Minutes, and this is called 10,000 Thoughts. So first one was saying toy boat 10 times fast. That was the first one, and you passed. You totally passed it. Uh, the, the other word that my wife and I came up with was dish soap. Dish soap. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously, try to say dish soap 10 times fast. What word am I going to say? This uh, I don't know. There's, there's, there's no cuss word. I'm just saying. Give me a heads up. Dish soap. Dish, dish soap. Dish soap. It's dish soap. Dish, yeah, you can't say it's it. Dish I was kind of proud. Yeah. We made it up ourselves. Julie, these are questions for you. <laughs> okay. All right. Ooh, favorite food. Uh, I love samosas. Come on. So it's a fried goodness with yes usually um meat and vegetables in it and eat it with lime Ooh, mm. love some i mean it, yeah let's do that <laughs> after this samosas and mimosas yeah come on all day. <laughs> <A> memoir <laughs> yeah. nice <laughs> is that your book That'd be the uh, Name, maybe yeah. yeah just think about it think about it chris wants 10 percent uh okay uh childhood nickname oh i don't know if i had one my husband calls me Jules, which is very sweet. As a J-E-W-E-L-S? That's right. See, Aww. that's heartfelt. They And one other thing that I love that Kenya did for me is that when I moved into the community, they gave me a Kalenji name, which is a tribal name, um, mm. so that when I was in the community that it would be easier for them to pronounce my name and to remember it and also yeah. as a way to welcome me. So I am really grateful for that kind of What's reception that and 
name. So when I moved here, I was called Jeb Kios because I was born premature and born before mm. my time. And then when I became a mom, um, it was changed to Mama Ella. So now Aww. I'm known as Mama Ella. I love that. <laughs> uh, okay, so a pet peeve. I hate when mosquitoes are buzzing mm. under our mosquito nets. It's <laughs> the worst. Like inside the net. Yeah, so we have to turn on the flashlight if the power's off and get it. Or turn the light on if, you know, there is electricity. But because I just can't deal it with it. <laughs> You're so, yeah, that buzz would make you cuss a little bit. Not that you would, but yeah, other people would cuss. No, I... I could. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, that's a strong pet peeve. Yeah. Uh, favorite way to rest, which I guess we already got that. She walks. She walks, mm-hmm. yeah. I love which, to walk. I love that. Okay. Did you always love to walk, or was that just something you learned there or as you've gotten older? Uh, I think I, I think I did it, but I love it so much in this season. Yeah. Mm. Uh, okay, something you're currently rethinking. I feel like there's a lot that I'm processing right now and don't have words quite yet yeah, for it. I get that. Um, but hopefully, hopefully we'll get there. And I think yeah. writing is part of that work mm. for me of trying to dig into. Yeah. It feels like prayer to me, actually. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. yeah. That's awesome. And the other thing that um, I grew up singing. And uh-huh. so one of the things that I feel like I've gotten away from some while I've been here is singing. And I just feel like mm. this invitation of leaning back into that because it's so good for my soul. <laughs> so, yeah. Have you been doing it? Are you writing at all or? So I used to write and yeah. I'm doing lyrics some again. Um, I have a piano that so badly needs to be tuned and I can't figure out how to get it tuned yet. Right. <laughs> so uh, that's, mm. that's one of my um, challenges at the moment. Not big, but, you know, part yeah. of mm-hmm. the list. But one of my visions, and when I was with Kathy, I told her, is that I have a dream of someday having writers, yeah. musicians yeah. from mm-hmm. Kenya. So Kanji as well as potentially some worship leaders from the U S to come to living room and to yeah. sit in this space and to write about who God is and what he's doing in mm. this place. Cause I just feel like it could be a really beautiful and powerful expression that yeah. I don't even know what it would fully become, but I, f- it's one of the things I think about. So when I said that, she said, Oh, we should talk to Tim about that. He should be a part of that. Too. So. I love it. That's cool. I love it. Well, I said, I already said yes. So <laughs> okay, to good. Her. That's awesome. No, that's, that's beautiful. One of the things that I do struggle with at times is, is worship music. Um, mm. For many years, like I just could lean into it and it, it felt right. And at this stage, I f- it feels mm-hmm. harder for me in some ways not because I don't want to sing and not because I don't believe that God is worthy of our praise, but I f- sometimes I feel like the lyrics or something about it feels more at times performative versus. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Julie, you're, t- you're talking to the right people. Mm-hmm. We we're having a lot of hard times with all these songs, even songs we've all written um, and trying to rethink what are we doing? Like what, what are these songs? What's the purpose who are we as a community in these songs versus just me and my fireside relationship with Jesus? And the other thing that feels especially important to me at this point is that 
I want to leave behind as much church language that excludes people mm-hmm. yeah. as mm-hmm. possible. I feel yeah. this deep sense of it probably related again to hospitality, but that hmm. if we're using words that exclude people from feeling invited in or welcomed, then they're probably not the right words to use. Yes. And, mm. and the more like I get away from them, the more I even begin to think, I don't have any idea what they mean. Like I've yeah. used yes. them my entire life and I don't really know what they mean. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, yes. And it's probably pushed you into different communities because of it too. It's opened up. It has. The connection to people you didn't think you'd, you would have before. Cause that's also my experience. For sure. And how I feel more comfortable at times with people who would not say that they were believers mm-hmm. than within the church community who feels like they're certain about things that don't feel like yeah. um, that we can be certain about, you know? Yeah. Mm. There's a curiosity piece. And I think there's trying to discern how to hold on to what feels true and let go of certain things that were presented as the truth, but aren't necessarily so. Yeah, 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 for Mm -hmm. sure. Are there things that you're, that you see musically out there that you're like, ah, this, this is actually closer to the heart of God potentially, or a whole different side of the heart of God than you're hearing on the songs that we're praying here. Well, when I listen to our people here sing tribal songs that are not translated hymns. (laughs) They're singing from their hearts in an unfiltered way that feels like, even if I don't always know what the word is, like it feels closer Uh to me. Sometimes if I listen to Yo-Yo Ma play the cello, I feel Uh like there's something, there's something there. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Most recent thing that made you laugh. My little boy, Ryan, who's six and a half and he didn't talk until he was three. Mm. And now his words like, wow, they really, it's wonder. And it makes me laugh. And Uh. I, I watch him with just so much gratitude (laughs) uh, for his life. I love that. And I laugh a lot with him. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And then uh, what does it mean if we were going to practice loving bravely, what would that look like? So when my daughter, Ella, she was littler and one day it was Valentine's day. Actually, we had made cookies. She wanted to take them to the patients at Kimbulio, the hospice. And then we got here and she said, mom, I feel a little bit afraid. And Mm -hmm. I said, that's okay. I'll be with you. But actually if we're brave, that means that we're willing to do the things that make us feel a little bit afraid and we choose whether to do them or Mm. not. And I think about that a lot in (laughs) different choices in loving is it's not that it's not scary at times. It is, but being still willing to show up and do it. Mm. So good. So good. Julie, thank you for spending time. What time is it there right now? It's eight o'clock. Awesome. (laughs) Thank you for spending time away from your family and going down where the generator is and being awesome and making this happen. Thank you so, so much. People go check out all the things she's doing, but we'll have some practices on loving bravely. Uh, There's so many things that we'll take from this. So thank you. Thanks for having me.
All right, guys. Thank you for listening to that, guys and gals, everybody. Everybody. All the people. Uh, thanks yes. for listening to that. Thanks for being a part of that. Chris, especially you. Thanks, man. <laughs> I feel included. Um, Good. I thought the pet peeve thing was going to be funny. Like in my in my mind, I was like, "That's a funny no, joke." It, it got like real, real. Like I don't need this mosquito to kill me tonight. Actually, that's a pet uh, peeve. Me too. Uh, I know. I was like, "Wow, these ten thousand thoughts have me thinking." Yeah, <laughs> I kept I kept thinking of things to say. Sorry, I sucked in mode spit. Like that pet peeve really hit you somewhere. Um, I kept thinking of things to say, and to be honest, I was like. That is such a vain question or uh-huh. or a question that only a good American would ask. <laughs> it was really interesting. I, I it almost yes is, and no. it's like all of my humor seems real insignificant in yeah. this moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So true. But humor isn't absent from her life. Like you could no, tell no. she was like, oh, this has me thinking about something different. No, mm-hmm. in, yeah, and sorry, I didn't mean it like that. I just meant <laughs> even in my like intentional questions, uh, mm. I stopped myself so many times. Right. I'm like, that is, that doesn't even really apply. The way that she's talking, yep. it's like outside of some of yeah. the questions I wanted to ask. Yep. And that's the point. The point of having conversations with different cultures and different experiences is that you pause and you say, wait. Have I been seeing life through this lens the whole time? Right. Yeah. That's the whole point. So it's yeah. awesome that you had that, that we all had those moments with her. We're like, yeah. wait. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah. I find myself like, I don't need to talk. Yeah. I don't need to say it. That was one of the podcasts yep. kind of like, what? no, I don't need to say anything. Mm-hmm. This is fine. Mm-hmm. Well, next time you guys jump in and ask some questions because <laughs> Timmons was on a struggle bus. Oh, I was on a struggle bus. <laughs> Crashed. And so burn. much, so much. Uh, everybody, thank you again for listening. Guys, mm-hmm. go support what she's doing because, or just check it out, be curious right. about it. Um, okay. Bye. Love bravely. <laughs>